What's the most difficult thing about leadership in the church? That was a question that was asked to me very directly by a church member several months ago in front of other church members. I just thought, do you really want me to answer that question honestly? Do you want me? What am I supposed to say here? Should I, should I say what I really think about this or do I say something different? You've been there. You know what those kind of questions are like. And my answer to that question was probably much the same as you would give if you've been involved in any kind of leadership in anything. Whether it's in a home or in a business or in some organization, you would probably give the same kind of answer if you think about the most frustrating thing about leadership wherever you've been. And I think, though, for me, it becomes much more frustrating and much more discouraging in some ways and much more disappointing to have to give this answer simply because in the effort to lead people spiritually, you know how that can go. It can be very discouraging. It can be very disappointing. And so my answer to this was very simple. I said in response to the question, what's the most difficult thing about leadership in the church? I said, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. That's the most frustrating, most discouraging thing for me. And you know exactly how that feels. Especially when it comes to somebody that you so desperately want them to know Jesus. You so desperately want them to be on a path of spiritual growth. Maybe they've made a commitment to the Lord and they're just stuck. And and you just say, I don't understand. We've got you right there. There's all the water. Why don't you drink it? And maybe you understand how that feels. That person that you've identified so far in this sermon series, and if you're new with us, what we've done is to, to look at, at what we're calling our one for ten. One person over ten weeks, one group of people over ten weeks that we can say, Lord, that's who's on my heart. God, I know you've sent me to them. I know they're in my life for a reason. I, I, I'm praying for them. God, I want you to open doors for me to be able to talk with them and love on them and show them the great love of Jesus and talk about the truth and talk about how Jesus has changed my life. But I'll tell you this, isn't it frustrating When you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. You've experienced that in the last few weeks, I'm sure, even with those people that you've identified. You know, we see ourselves, according to the survey that I took, some of you participated in this, the survey I took before this sermon series, I asked you some different questions, and one of those was, was, I, I believe it's my undeniable biblical responsibility to be a spiritual companion and leader for the people that I interact with regularly. Now, we, we believe, according to the, sur- the surveys, 100% of us that took those surveys checked, I either, that's either very true of me or somewhat. Nobody says, nope, that's not my responsibility. We know that biblically our responsibility is to come alongside those people that need spiritual leadership, that need somebody to walk with them. We believe that's our responsibility. But I also asked you a question to, to follow up with that. It says, I view myself as a spiritual companion or leader. Now, that's a little bit different, a little bit nuanced, but it's a little bit different. I believe, yes, that's my responsibility, but I view myself as somebody who is doing that, and the numbers change just a little bit. Uh, 8% of us say, no, not at all. I'm not doing that in any way. Now, you say, well, man, that's 92%. Only 70%, though, are saying, well, somewhat. Only 22% say that's very true. I'm I'm very much doing that. And then I ask you one other question about motivation. And maybe this is the difficult part. I'm motivated to be a spiritual companion or leader. This is where the horse not drinking the water comes into play. 
I'm motivated, you say. 36% say, I'm very motivated to be a spiritual companion. 53% say, eh, somewhat. 11% of us say, nope, not at all. Not motivated. We, we, we get frustrated, don't we? I mean, things happen and those people are driving you nuts. Not because of, of things that they do that just get on your nerves, but because their lives are not changing. This series is all about how can we understand more, how can we be more motivated, and how can we do more of what we call missional living, living on mission for the Lord. How can we know more about it, what it's supposed to look like? How can we be more motivated than we are, and how can we begin to say, all right, I get it, I want to, and now I'm going to do it. The Go Board, by the way, is getting more populated, and I certainly enjoy putting those up there and being able to see the different folks that we're praying for and some of the issues. Last week we looked at what are we leaving behind that's keeping our foot on first base, and I'm moving past that. Those are up there. I'll be praying for those. But today I want to share with you something we're not going to put on the board. You'll see the little go card there, and you may want to have it handy as we go through the sermon, and you can make a note or two. You're going to keep that with you just so you know. I'm going to ask you this week to put that in some prominent place where you're going to see it. You'll be reminded of it, and it won't be forgotten. Today we're going to look at an Old Testament passage that, that quite honestly, is the, the number one Old Testament passage that has impacted me above all other Old Testament chapters on what it means to be a pastor. This is, this is my favorite example of what a true pastor does. When you're called to lead people spiritually, I think you'll find in this example we'll see this morning, here's what it really looks like. And there's no person that I identify more with in the Old Testament as a person who's trying to lead folks spiritually than Moses. Maybe you know his story a little bit, and some of this will be familiar. But this is the Old Testament passage that I identify with, the character that I resonate with more than anybody. What is it that you do when people for whom you are a spiritual leader or companion, what do you do when they're like that horse that you lead to water and it won't drink? Moses is going to tell us today in chapter 32 of Exodus. So if you've got a Bible, I'll just warn you, this passage is long enough, and I'm going to kind of jump around just a little bit in it. The words are not going to be on the screen. I didn't want to confuse my guys incessantly in the back because it would have. I hope that you've got a Bible with you. If you don't, slide over next to somebody, or if you've got a smartphone or tablet, you can get there and you can look this up. The truth about that person that you wrote down, that group that you're trying to target, those people that you love so much, you're one for ten. The, the, very, the simple truth about them, what we see in the life of Moses and his relationship with the Israelites, who he was leading spiritually, is very simply this. The truth about that one for ten is they will drive you crazy. They will drive you absolutely crazy. Now, you already know that. You've experienced that maybe even in the last two weeks. You've prayed for these people. You've tried to determine how to talk with them, and you've just watched them still not change. You've seen just pushback. They, they don't want to, to, to hear anything you're talking about. They're driving you crazy. Now, if anybody knew how people could drive you crazy, it was Moses. His story, just to catch you up real quick, he was, of course, born during a time when the Egyptians were killing all the Hebrew boy babies. He was hid for about three months. 
got to the point where his mother couldn't hide him anymore, and so she decided to float him down the Nile River, hoping maybe that he would be rescued by somebody who could save his life. And lo and behold, the princess of Egypt was there, and she finds him and raises him as her own in the palace. Maybe you know this story. Moses grows up there in the palace, but he's still not a full Egyptian, if you know what I mean. He understands his people, and he realizes that the Hebrews in slavery to the Egyptians need somebody to deliver them and get them out, and he appoints himself at about age 40 to do that. And he kills one of the Egyptian slave masters. Eventually he's found out, and he has to run. He spends 40 years on the run, fugitive from the law. Moses, one of God's great leaders, a fugitive. Forty years out in the wilderness until God shows up to him in Exodus chapter 3 in the story of the burning bush. And he looks over in this bush that's on fire but not being consumed. He says to himself, I need to go check that out. And so Moses, Moses on over there. And God shows up, lo and behold, and says, Moses, I'm picking you to go and lead my people out of slavery. Now, this is the same Moses that 40 years earlier picked himself, but when God says, go do it, he says, who am I? I can't do this. In fact, he says, God, you need to pick somebody else. You're wrong. As if God showing up in the burning bush was not sign enough to Moses that God knew what he was doing. Moses says, I'm not your guy. God says, yes, you are. Moses says, no, I'm not. God says, yes, you are. And as those conversations go, maybe you've experienced this, God typically wins the argument. Moses went, reluctantly, but he went. God, through him, performs all kinds of miracles in the presence of the Pharaoh, sends all kinds of plagues on the nation of Egypt, and eventually the Pharaoh says, get out of here. And as they leave, Pharaoh sort of comes to his Egyptian senses and sends out his army to say, hold on, we just let all these slaves go. What's going to happen to our economy? We've got to catch up with them and capture them. And Moses runs up against the Red Sea, which at the time, of course, was not easily crossed. They didn't have a new bridge that's being built over the Red Sea. They run up against it and they say, what are we going to do? And God says, Moses, put your staff down in the water. And he does. And the water parts and they run across. And then the Egyptian army, of course, is swallowed up in that after God stops the wind that was holding back the water. Finally, the people are free from Egypt. And guess what happens next? It's so glorious. They start complaining. Now listen, I know, I know that, that the, the, the Israelite people were not a Southern Baptist church, but boy, it sure sounds like it. Doesn't it? Y'all, come on. Everything's going well, and guess what? Chirp, chirp, chirp. Chirp, chirp, chirp. We don't have enough food. Chirp, chirp. They just start chirping at Moses all over. Y'all have experienced this. You've been in church long enough to know. Oh, it's so wonderful. Look at all that God has done. Yeah, I don't know about all that. I don't know. Yeah, okay, plagues, Red Sea. Yeah, but I'm hungry. That's what the people start saying. They start complaining against Moses. They start driving him absolutely nuts. But then we get to chapter 32. And all the chirping about food and, well, we'd rather be back in Egypt. We had all kinds of food back then. Now it gets really serious. Because now we're talking about people and their stance before a holy God. And Moses is going to be driven crazy in a completely different way. You know that truly in your life that people that drive you crazy are not just the folks that chew their food weird or bite their nails. They're the people who just won't get on board with what you know needs to happen in their lives. I mean, that is absolutely 
at least for me, that is, as I said, the most frustrating thing about trying to lead someone. People will drive you crazy, just like the Israelites did for Moses. And here's how it's going to happen. The same thing they did to him is what they're going to do to you. Maybe you'd make a few notes, because on your bulletin you'll see there's not a lot of space for this. But maybe you'll make a few notes as we look. Here's how they will drive you crazy. I mean, they're going to do it. Here's how. One way Moses experienced, we'll see here in the first six verses, is they will sin deliberately. This stuff's not going to be on the, on the screen. They're going to sin very deliberately. Look at verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain. Now, Moses is up meeting with God. He's up getting the Ten Commandments from God. They gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come make us a God who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Isn't that great? Then Aaron replied to them, What are you talking about? Moses is our great leader. He'll be back here really soon. He's talking with God on your behalf. He's going to come back with something incredible. No, no. Aaron, the guy that Moses left in charge to say, Lead these people. Aaron says, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from their hands, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made it into an image of a calf. Then they said, Israel, this is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And then he made an announcement, there will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Early the next morning they arose, offered burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to revel. God starts talking about it in verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, go down at once. For your people, who you brought up from the land of Egypt, have acted corruptly. Do you see the deliberate nature of what they did? I mean, the people that you're trying to lead, you know what they're going to do? They're going to sin and do it on purpose. I mean, they will drive you absolutely. You're just saying, look, this is not the right thing to do. And they just keep doing it over and over and over. They drive you crazy. They get distracted because maybe you're not right there with them. Moses, it says, was delayed in coming down. And that kind of has the connotation that it caused the people to freak out like a farmer with no harvest. When the corn crop isn't good, when the beans aren't good one year and you start to freak out, you know, that's exactly the way the people felt. They were distracted. They were impatient. Moses delayed. Moses meeting with God. He leaves Aaron in charge and the people tell him, look, we're tired of waiting on Moses. We want the next spiritual high. We want something else to, to worship. Would you make us something? And Aaron, well, okay, bring me your stuff. And he fashions something. It's going to drive you crazy when the people you're trying to lead sin deliberately. It's going to happen. Maybe it's your children, or it's your close friend. I mean, it's that person who you feel like has come so far. <laughs> or it's somebody you think, you should know better. Are you kidding me? And they do something deliberately. But it didn't stop there for Moses, and unfortunately, probably not going to stop there for you. Because God goes on in verse 8 to, to tell Moses that they've turned away from the truth. They're going to sin deliberately, and they'll also turn away from the truth. Look at verse 8. They have quickly turned from the way I commanded them. They've deserted me, God says. They've quit on me. I mean, God had delivered them from slavery. 400 years of slavery. And these are the people that God says, in this time, it's time to go. And they throw off restraint are out of control and want nothing to do with what God said. God was to be the only object of their worship. Recognized as the one who had given them freedom and 
met all of their needs and loved them unconditionally. And, and now this. And they're all mixed up because Aaron makes this statue and then he says, we're going to have a festival to Yahweh. They, they, there's no way that they could have, have, have thought rationally, here is Yahweh God. And yet they say, let's make this thing and we'll have a festival to the Lord. They're all confused. They've deviated from the truth. They no longer are holding to what God has said. And the people that you're leading spiritually, that you're trying so hard to say, here's what's right, here's what's true, here's what God says, they're going to pick their own truth. They're going to go on what they feel. They're going to leave behind. They're going to quickly, God says, turn from the way that He has commanded. It's going to drive you crazy. It's going to be hard. I want you to know that in this sermon series, it's exciting. We pick somebody in some group, and then we say, all right, I'm leaving these things behind, but here's the reality. <laughs> it's not easy. Because those folks are people that you can't control. You're attempting to walk beside them, and they're constantly turning away from the truth. It'll break your heart as they twist the Scripture to fit whatever they feel. Whatever they think is right in the moment, they'll find some scripture to back it up. And you'll just say, no, that's not, that's not true. They'll turn away from the truth. But they go on from there. They will live for themselves as well. They've turned away, God says, and they've made, in verse 8, an image of a calf for themselves. They've made for themselves. They're going to live for them. They're going to do whatever they want to do. Isn't that the most frustrating thing about people? It's just like, look, I, I'm trying to help you. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you exactly what needs to happen in your life. I and mean, I've dealt with people like this before. And, you, you know, in my case, it's maybe through some marriage advice or, or it's, it's through uh, young people trying to help them to know what to do with their lives and the choices they make. And I just say, look, I, you don't have to even take it from me, but I just, just understand that if you try to do it your way, it's not going to work out. It, it's not going to go the way that, that you think it will. And the people that you're trying to lead, they don't, always want to submit themselves to this invisible God. They're going to try to, to make themselves something that they can follow. The selfishness, the pride of the people will make you want to lose your mind. Verse 8 goes on. They'll be very worldly. It says they've bowed down to it. They've sacrificed to it. They've said, Israel, this is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Just worldly. Worshiping all these things that are not the true representation of of God. These people wanted a God like all the other nations around them. That was their biggest problem. They look around and they say, well, they've got some visible representation of their God. Aaron, make us one like that. We want a God that, that we can control, a God that won't ask anything of us, a God that will be silent. That's the kind of God that we want to worship. They'll let their lives be governed by whatever is popular, by whatever everybody else thinks, by the condition of society. And it will drive you crazy. But not only that, they'll be really hard-headed in the process. God said it in verse 9. The Lord also said to Moses, I have seen this people, and they are indeed a stiff-necked people. Now, that's one of my favorite terms in the whole Bible. I love that. They're stiff-necked. It, it, it means that they're hard-headed, that they're rebellious, that they're obstinate. It means that when you tug on the rope, the horse doesn't move. It means you might not even be able to lead them to the water. They're thirsty and they won't admit it. You try to pull and they pull back. 
stiff-necked. You can picture that, can't you? Some of you deal with horses. And you, you, get, you get the whip out at this point, don't you? No longer the tug on the rope. Get out the whip. And trust me, when you're dealing with people whose necks are stiff, you'll want to get out the whip. <laughs> you won't go where God wants you to go. You won't take my advice. Fine. You'll pay for it. You know, you'll want to say to people, if you want to get out of the hole you're in, you know, the, the first step you might want to think about taking is to stop digging. And I'll never put down the shovel. Yep. Whatever. They're hard-headed. Your one for ten might be the most hard-headed person you have ever met. And you wonder, God, why on earth you put them on my heart? Lord, I filled out that card, and I just want to tear it up. I, I, I'm going to take it off the board. I mean, I, you know, nobody's going to see me, but I'm going to wait till everybody's gone. I'm taking that down. I'm going to put somebody else up who's not so hard-headed. Might be a little bit easier to talk to, God. Not only are they hard-headed, but, but they'll be like Aaron, who gives a very lame excuse for what he does. Look at verse 24. All right, now Moses goes on and we'll see some of this in just a minute, but he talks to God on behalf of the people and he comes down and he gets all over Aaron naturally and rightfully so because Aaron was the one who literally led the people into sin. And he says, what did you do? What what, what were you thinking? Aaron says, verse 22, let's look at that. Don't be enraged, my Lord. You yourself know that the people are intent on evil. Here's a great leader for you. It wasn't my fault. They voted. I'm just going with what they told me to do. What am I supposed to do? They said to me, make us a God who will go before us because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I said to them, whatever, whoever has gold, take it off. And they gave it to me. When I threw it into the fire, out came this calf. (laughs) Tell me, the Bible's kind of funny at certain times. Isn't this true though? People haven't changed. Just some lame excuse. Aaron, what did you do? Hey, man, don't blame me. I mean, these people, you know how they are. I just, you know, I, I kind of played along a little bit. We took all this stuff, we threw it in the fire, and next thing I know, here's this calf standing here. You know, when, of course, in verses 1 through 6, what does it say? He used a, a tool to make and fashion this thing. I don't know what happened. You ever have somebody that you're trying to lead spiritually say, what were you thinking? And they point at somebody, blame somebody else, or they come up with some lame excuse for what they did. It's what's going to happen. I mean, you're going to try to get somebody to determine the reasons, the rationale, but why are you doing these things in your life? And they're just going to fire one lame excuse after another. Well, out came the calf. I don't know. No idea how it happened. Drive you nuts. You know what, ultimately, I think, I think what drives us crazy about this is that ultimately these folks just disappoint us. Verse 30, Moses, following day, Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin. Do you, do you sense his disappointment? He's like, look, folks, but don't you understand all that God has done for you? Don't you understand how much I love you? I mean, I've given up everything to try to help you. You do, you do this? Committed a great sin. You can sense the disappointment. He said, I just don't understand. Why would you do this? You've got folks in your life that are like that. And like I said, maybe it's a child or a brother or sister or a close friend or somebody that you, you just thought had come so far and they just disappoint you. 
And you say, you know, I thought I was angry, but I'm just, I'm just disappointed. You, you, you've let me down. All of that's going to drive you crazy, and it's going to, it's going to make you want to give up. Moses has an interaction with God. In verse 10, God has said, uh, Moses, I'm done with these folks. Uh, this is such a great offense that, verse 10, he says, Now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. No longer the sons of Israel, but now the sons of Moses, they will be called. Now you think that wasn't a temptation for Moses. If it wasn't a real temptation, it loses all of its meaning. Here's Moses saying, yeah, God, I'm with you. Let's just start over. I'm done with these people. You may be at this point two or three weeks into trying to reach that person and talk with them and pray for them, and they're driving you nuts, and you say, I'm done. I just want to quit. I I, I have nothing left to give you. I mean, they're, they're throwing it back in your face. They're obstinate. They're bullheaded. They don't want anything to do with you. Who are you, they say, blah, blah, blah. I mean, Moses in Exodus chapter 3 didn't want anything to do with his leadership position anyway. I mean, at what point do you say, yeah, I'm done. I give up. It's not worth it anymore. He had a chance to be rid of these people who were driving him nuts. And maybe if you feel that way, just know you're not the first and you're certainly not alone. I mean, what this? What do you do, though, at this point? Well, we've set the scene, those people are driving you crazy, and okay, I get that. We've established the fact that sometimes that's going to happen. When you're trying to lead people, it's not going to be easy. Now, I told you at the beginning, this is the most powerful Old Testament passage that I know of for me as a pastor. For me as a spiritual leader, for me as a father. This is the passage that I go back to and I say, Lord, what would you have me do for people who don't always get on board, for the horse that won't drink? God, what should I do? The reason I resonate with it is not just because of all the stuff that we've already talked about. Okay, God, there's a passage of Scripture there. Boy, really? All right, God, you get it, don't you? You know what it's like to have people drive you nuts. It's not because of that. It's because of the challenge that comes with what Moses did in response to all the people. And his response must be my response and your response. And it's really very simple. You'll see it on the go-card. Love them anyway. I believe the most powerful thing that you can do when people are driving you crazy, when you've gotten the horse to the water and it won't drink, is to love them anyway. The way that Moses loved them was absolutely amazing. We'll fill these in quickly as we go. The first thing he did was to love them in prayer. Two different prayers, two different times that Moses in this chapter goes on behalf of God, or on behalf of the people to God. Moses in verse 11, it says he interceded with the Lord his God. And he goes there on behalf of the people and he says, God, don't destroy them. Have compassion instead of anger. Lord, please give them another chance. He's going on behalf of the people. He prays for them. Then in verses 31 and 32, Moses returned to the Lord and said, this people has committed a great sin. They've made for themselves a God of gold. Now, if you would only forgive their sin, do you see the love that this leader has for the people who have driven him nuts and who don't deserve his love? I told you, this is so powerful for me as a pastor. Because as I admit to you, the most frustrating thing about leadership in the church is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. What do you do then with the horse? Do you buy a new one? 
You shoot it? What do you do? You hit it harder? Do you yank harder? I believe Moses would say, based upon his growth with the people and his understanding of God's heart for them, he would say, love that horse anyway. Keep loving that horse that won't drink the water. Love them in prayer. I wonder, do you love the person who God has put on your heart? Do you love them enough to pray for them every single day this week? And not just, God, would you call down fire to destroy them because they're driving me crazy. That was last week's prayer. This week's prayer. I wonder, would you pray for their salvation? Would you pray that God would move in their life? Would you pray for the Holy Spirit's movement? Would you pray that God would soften their heart? Would you pray that God would give you an opportunity just to continue to demonstrate love even in the face of somebody so hard-headed? Would you love them in prayer? I'll be honest with you. You and I have no business trying to lead people we're not praying for. We have no business doing it. Secondly, lead them, love them rather, in holiness. Verse 15, Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony, the law, in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, inscribed front and back. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was God's writing, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua, who was waiting on Moses, heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said, there's a sound of war in the camp. But Moses replied, it's not the sound of a victory cry, and not the sound of a cry of defeat. I hear the sound of singing. As he approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, this worship, Moses became enraged and threw the tablets out of his hand, smashing them at the base of the mountain. Then he took the calf they had made, burned it up, and ground it into powder. He scattered the powder over the surface of the water and forced the Israelites to drink the water. There's your horse drinking water. Verse 21, Then Moses asked Aaron, What do these people do to you that you have led them into such a grave sin? Do you realize that Moses loved them, but he never condoned what they did? To love somebody doesn't mean that you say what you've done is okay. What you've done is not truly a sin. To love somebody means I'm going to love you in holiness. I'm not going to participate in what you're doing. And in fact, I'm going to let you know that's not pleasing to God. We live in a society, unfortunately, that when we say something is not pleasing to God, now I'm accused of hating someone. No, 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 no. The most loving thing that you can do is point somebody to God's holiness. To point somebody to the fact that this is an offense to God. Moses was enraged at their sin. He loved them, but he didn't condone what they did. He loved them in holiness. The people in your life need you to hold up a standard of holiness. Not holier than thou, not I judge your soul. But let me tell you, God is a holy God. And sin is a great offense. Big or small, sin is an offense to God. We need to know that in our society. Love them in holiness, both in how you live and in what you say. The person may say, well, who are you? And you say, I'm nobody, but let me tell you what God says. Do it in love. We're told in the New Testament to speak the truth in love, and certainly holiness, as we talk about it, must be done that way. Moses was upset. He never condoned what they did, but he loved them through it. He also loved them in truth. Verse 30, Moses tells them, you have committed a great sin. He's going to let them know. And he says, now I'm going to go up to the Lord. Perhaps I will be able to pay, make atonement, the Bible says, for your sin. You've rejected God himself. You stand in need of forgiveness. You need somebody to pay for your sin. None of that in today's world is going to be popular. 
We don't like this idea that somehow I need forgiveness. Well, leave me alone. I'm going to do what I want. The truth is that sin, any sin, big, small, anywhere in between, is rebellion against God. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. It's rebellion against God. It's not a mistake. It's not a... It is absolute, all-out, full-fledged rebellion against God. Even that little white lie you told this week. We need to hear the truth that God says what we deserve for even the smallest sin is to die. We need to hear the truth that God says nobody can work off their sin by good behavior. We need to hear the truth that Jesus and His death are the only things that God accepts as payment for our sin. That's it. That's it. We need to hear the truth that salvation is a free gift that cannot be earned and only received through faith. We need to hear the truth that Jesus is alive and He will return in judgment. We don't like all that truth sometimes, but we need to hear the truth. Moses loved the people by saying, look, you've sinned and somebody needs to make up for your sin. Let me go see if I can do it. Moses also loved them in sacrifice. Verse 31, this people, he says to God, has committed a great sin. They've made for themselves a God of gold. Now, if you would only forgive their sin, but if not, he says... Please erase me from the book you've written. I'm not sure I can say those words about a horse that won't drink water. I mean, God, I've done all I can do. And I told them, God, I tried to love them. I mean, I did. They just won't respond. God, I mean, I don't know what else to do at this point. Lord, I've been up on the mountain talking with you, and they're down there worshiping a calf by popular vote even. Everybody wanted in on it. Moses says, Lord, I need you to forgive their sin, please. And if not, then take me instead. Kill me. If you won't forgive them, take me. Where once he was reluctant to lead these people, now he loves them so much he's willing to die for them. I told you this is the most powerful passage I have as a pastor. The identification with the people, the folks that you're leading spiritually, you don't have to condone anything they're doing. But to identify with them as a fellow sinner who stands in need of punishment, aside from Jesus Christ, you'll experience that punishment in God's full wrath. That's where Moses stands right then and where we must stand with our people. That's hard. For better or for worse, he wasn't going to leave them. And I wonder, how deeply do you love that person that you wrote down? Is it conditional? Is it dependent on how they treat you? Are you willing to sacrifice? You say, Lord, if I could, I'd literally just give up everything to see them come to know you. Instead of calling down God's judgment on the people, he just lines up with them and says, Lord, forgive them, please. And if not, then kill me. Take me instead. I encourage you also to love them in perseverance. Verse 32. 
Verse 34, now go, God told Moses, lead the people to the place I told you about and see my angel will go before you. He says, Moses, I, we're going to deal with all this stuff, but, but you need to continue to go and to lead them. God wasn't done. Moses wasn't done either. It was time to keep going, to keep leading, to keep speaking the truth, to keep loving them, to keep sacrificing for them. I had a friend call me not long ago. And she was calling about a mutual friend who's going through some very difficult times and not making the wisest of decisions. And she said, what am I supposed to do? And I said, well, let me just tell you, the first thing you need to make sure to do is don't leave her. <laughs> don't stop being her friend. Don't stop walking with her. I said, because she may have no one else who will speak the truth into her life. And I know that she's going to drive you crazy. I know she's going to do things that will make you say, I don't want anything to do with this person at all, ever again. And let me encourage you today to continue to persevere in spiritual leadership, even with a horse that won't drink the water. Whatever you do, don't leave that person. It's going to be hard. Everything in you will say, I'm done. They've done too much. They've offended me too much. I, 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 they don't want anything that I'm talking about. Don't leave them. Let me encourage you to assume, always assume that you're the only godly influence they'll ever have. And love them anyway. Even when they drive you crazy. Get that go-kart handy. Because I want you to think about and pray about this morning. God, how is it? that I should love them anyway. I've given you lots of different things. You see them all on your bulletin and maybe all of them apply or maybe one or maybe God has put something else on your heart. God, how is it that I need to love them anyway this week? And maybe if you're in your vehicle a lot, you would just put that there on the dashboard and you'd just be reminded that as you drive, you see that there and it just says, love them anyway. You're going to have an opportunity this week to be driven crazy by the people that you're trying to lead going to happen. Love them anyway. Love them anyway. This sermon is for those who need to be reminded to love anyway, but I'll tell you this, it's also for people, you may have shown up this morning, and you need to be told that God loves you anyway. I had an opportunity with one of my children this week to, to say, let me just tell you, I love you anyway. And more than that, Jesus loves you anyway. Something that we had been over and over and over, and this particular child driving me crazy with this willful behavior. I just said, I love you anyway. More importantly, Jesus loves you anyway. Let me tell you this. You may be here this morning and you simply need to hear it. You may have been in church for 125 years, but you need to hear it again. God loves you anyway. In spite of your sin, in spite of your rebellion, God loves you anyway. And Jesus came to die for you anyway. Stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to work off your sin by good behavior. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ in faith. I have no better news for you than that. The bad news is that you need God's love because apart from that and salvation found in Jesus alone, you will experience the full wrath of God on your sin. 
It's the bad news. The great news is, though, that you don't have to. That Jesus took it on the cross. He took the full wrath of God for you. And He just simply says, surrender. Believe, He says, in full surrender. Believe that He did that. Believe that He is the Son of God. Believe He is the only way for salvation. Believe in Him today. If you need somebody to pray for you, I'll be down here. I'd love to be able to pray with you, pray for you. But I want you to know that no matter how much we love you and how much we'd be willing to sacrifice for you, just like Moses tried to give his life for the people of Israel, it wasn't good enough, God says. I'm not accepting that. There's one sacrifice God accepts, Jesus alone. Love them anyway, church. And know that God loves you anyway. Let's pray together. Lord, help us. It's not exactly exciting, God. It's not necessarily even encouraging. But Lord, we know it's, it's what you want us to do, so help us to love them anyway. God, give us a glimpse of how you love us anyway. And Lord, let us simply be a reflection of that kind of love. Thank you, Lord, that in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our deliberate sin, that you love us anyway. Thank you for dying, knowing that we would disown you. Thank you for giving your life for us. Fill us up, Lord, with your love and your grace and make us those kinds of people that will love a horse that won't drink water. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.